0: Welcome to Forecast, the Foreshadow Podcast, seeking glimpses of heaven on earth through conversations about people's lives and work. This season, our theme is Songs of Ascents, Pilgrimage and Worship, exploring the journeys we make in search of wholeness. I'm Will, and with me today is my friend Matt Bickett. Today we're going to be talking with Matt about his experiences of pilgrimage, journey, and whatever else Matt would like to talk about. But before I say anything else, Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe where you are in the world, what you're doing in the world, for the world, and, <laughs> and uh, anything else that uh, is uh, you know, about you, past, present, or future, that you think is uh, important to share at this point.
1: Sure, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Well. Thanks for having me here. Uh, yeah, as you said, my name is Matt Bickett. I'm um, currently a graduate student at the Yale Institute of Sacred Music, um, but I'm in an exchange year um, this year, so I'm living in Tübingen, Germany, um, and studying uh, theology here, um, improving my German a bit. Um, at the same time, I've um, uh, I've studied music uh, in the past at Oberlin Conservatory, and um, I've been a professional church musician in, in several different contexts um, taking a little bit of a break from performance while I'm here, uh, just, uh, spending my, spending my days reading. Um, uh, um, but, uh, uh, yeah, um, looking forward to, um, spending my next four months here uh, as a student and, um, and then seeing wherever life takes me after then. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Matt and I, uh, we met uh, through a a professional academic organization called the Society for Christian Scholarship in Music. Matt is now the student representative for this group, and mm-hmm. uh, I think we met two years ago now in uh, right, right. in in Macon, Georgia, uh, down yes. the road down the road from where I'm at now. Uh, and uh, Matt gave one of the most like incredible papers I think I've ever heard in my life that blew my mind in every way it was it was it was uh it was fantastic uh and and he rightfully won the student paper prize that year could probably win it every year if he put pen to, to paper uh uh but yeah just an incredible uh scholar insightful guy and and um uh, and and a talented dude at that uh i'm hoping that you know at the end of all of this, we might plug some links to your uh, your previous sort of performances if you would be willing to share some sure, of those, yeah. <laughs> uh, so people can get down with the organ. Because you said church musician, but you are in fact uh, quite a, an accomplished organist, is uh, is my understanding as well.
1: Yes, yeah, organ is sort of my primary instrument, um, and I've performed publicly most on the organ, but um, I also played the harpsichord and performed quite a bit with harpsichord and um when when i'm at church i'm 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 a conductor so i work with choirs and, and training and preparing for services so a, a little bit of everything and 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 those um and in that sense but uh, yeah primarily an organist
0: awesome awesome i yeah that's 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 incredible we uh, we are definitely uh, church musicians on opposite ends of the spectrum of capability <laughs> and insight, oh, yeah. though I'm sure you could probably do all the things that I've ever tried to do as well, uh, uh, just as well, if not better, but, uh, that's incredible harpsichord, not too many harpsichordists you meet these days, uh, true, yeah. are, or at least self-proclaimed as such. Uh, so that's, that's that very was- neat. Uh, could never get over the plucking of the string versus the hammer on the string. Uh, right,
1: yeah, no, it's very different. <laughs> pretty cool, pretty cool. Uh,
0: well, Matt, this season, like I said in the introduction, we've been sort of talking about—not um, sort of—we have matter-of-factly been talking about uh, concepts of pilgrimage uh, and/or journey. Um, I wonder, in your experiences, sort of as a as a church musician. And as a scholar, as we've sort of established, that's kind of what you're doing right now. And where you're at, you're literally across you are an American, uh, uh, if that's, yeah. if your accent doesn't betray you, um, yeah, no, sure uh, <laughs> you're, you're from the U S uh, and, and yet here you, you've, you've been around in different parts of the U S obviously. And now here you are in Germany. Clearly mm-hmm. there is some, uh, travel motif and journeying motif happening in, <laughs> in your life in real time right now. I don't yeah, know yeah. if that's the best, uh, point of entry to talking about your experiences of, uh, pilgrimage. If this is, if you would call this as such, or, uh, if this is just sort of, uh, in a, you know, uh, coincidental travel, but t- tell us a little bit about maybe, uh, this experience of being all over the place or some maybe more, uh, pertinent or important experience to your growth and development as it relates to, uh, intentionally taking a, uh, taking a trip or journey to some point.
1: Sure. Yeah, no, I, I think this is a great place to start. Yeah. Um, I'm currently living in Germany, as I said, in Tubingen in the southwest. Um, we have some beautiful hills and mountains around. Uh, it's, it's quite a nice place to be. Mm. Um, sort of, not sort of. It certainly is a, a university town here too. It's a small uh, city, so not you know nothing large. Um, uh, but a lot of people are here um, expressly for the university. So there's um, a a, a sort of deeply um, thoughtful culture here mm. among both the residents um, and, and clearly a lot of students that are around. Uh, as a side note, it's, it's um, where the Green Party in Germany was founded. Uh, okay. It originated here in Tübingen. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, traveling has been sort of a constant theme through my, my studies in particular. Um, I, well, I, I guess it starts when I first went to undergrad. Um, I went to... Um, Oberlin College, which is in um, uh, northeast Ohio near Cleveland, uh, but I'm originally from southern Ohio. Um, but you know, while both were in the same state, Oberlin was was a good 400 miles north mm. of where I'm from. So it was a significantly different culture, actually a, a quite different climate as well, mm. uh, with the lake of snow and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but also as I um, came to learn more about the history of where I, where I was studying um, it, I learned that Northeast Ohio was a part of what was called the Western Reserve, um, where um, settlers from um, the state of Connecticut, actually, um, or the colony of Connecticut, um, went westward and surveyed the land. Actually, I think Moses Cleveland was the name of the surveyor, which is where the name of the city comes from. Okay. Um, but a lot of small towns were there, um, sort of established in the New England model. Um, and I happened to find myself after Oberlin. Sort of going up uh, the next rung of the ladder and going straight to Connecticut. Yeah, there you uh, go. <laughs> and attended Yale, uh, or I'm still a student at Yale uh, at the Divinity School there, uh, and in the Institute of Sacred Music, um, where you know I <laughs> I moved sort uh, of at the worst possible time. I think I can imagine um, it was sort of during the height of the, the COVID nineteen pandemic when wow. everything was was under lockdown. Still, um, people were very scared and nervous. There wasn't much information about what was happening, going around, uh, vaccines weren't, weren't developed yet. Um, but, but here I was moving, you know, 12 hours East from Ohio, um, and settling into a new city where, where most everything was closed. Wow. Um, which was, you know, it was a difficult experience, but, but I certainly learned a lot, um, learned a lot about myself Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and about, um, finding community, yeah. um, in difficult times. And that was, um, and that was certainly a difficult time. Um, but this does take me into to where I'm I'm wanting to go and and that um during my first year at Yale, we were entirely online, you know, I was meeting people online. Um I had a handful of um friends that I'd actually known from beforehand living in New Haven that i that we'd hang out um maybe once a month or so, but we were yeah. very careful and very yeah. cautious. because um, again, yeah, there was just so much that we didn't know at this point. Right. Um but I was, yeah, I was living in an apartment and according to best advice, I was, uh, in a. Uh, I didn't have any roommates. I was in a single, um, apartment. Um, so I was spending a lot of time by myself, um, because everything was online, um, yeah. classes, um, discussion sections, even hanging out with friends, <laughs> uh, catching up and having drinks, uh, happened over zoom th- those <laughs> <Yeah>. days. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, I was of course reading a lot um a lot of new things for me at the, at the time, also sort of diving in deeply um, but as as sort of as as time rolled on in that first year that I was there um the the I think the loneliness really was was starting to get to me mm. um and at the same time, I was branching out into new and exciting areas and research that I had never looked at before, um, finding entire academic disciplines or fields that I didn't really know existed. And mm-hmm. um, one of which um, being Appalachian studies, um, which is relevant here because um, I realized as I was sort of sitting there alone all those hours uh, staring at a zoom screen um, that I was in a strong sense sort of missing um, the, the environment, the people, the culture and um, where I had grown up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is something I hadn't really thought about or realized much before. Um, but where I'm from in Ohio is, is a part of the Appalachian region of the United States. And so I was finding through my research that I was, I was connecting to, um, the sort of culture and, and people, um, mm. that I had grown up around. Um, so in some sense, um, you know, while, while seated, um, in my apartment alone, much like zoom takes us on a journey, for example, to have drinks with friends. Yeah, yeah. I, I was using my research as an outlet, um, for, but of bringing myself back, back home, uh, in a strong sense, um, through, uh, yeah, also very deeply thought, um, scholarship on the Appalachian region, its history, its people, um, the problems uh, that Appalachians face today. Um, uh, and, and the, the relevance of these problems, um, and the ways people were thinking about them for others outside of the Appalachian region. Um, so yeah, I was, I was, deeply grateful for this experience and and it was certainly not one that I was expecting. Wow. Wow. I mean, I, uh,
0: I mean, it just sounds like, uh, the proverbial lemonade out of lemons, right? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's you taking an otherwise bleak situation and I don't know if this is now just retrospectively, but, uh, it Mm -hmm. sounds like it was, it, it sounds like this happened all simultaneously and this isn't just sort of like, uh, a, a a reconfiguring of the past. So it's less traumatic. (laughs) Uh, uh, it it, it, it genuinely, it it does sound like in the moment you had this sort of cognizant sense of I'm, I'm stuck alone inside, uh, with otherwise zoom as a mode of sort of connection and journeying to people. I love that, how you articulated that. Uh, see, I told you everybody listen to this, what this guy has to say. Um, (laughs) Uh, but then also that research, like the act of research became this, this connecting point and this, this, uh, this pathway for you to not mm-hmm. just to like some other place, some distant or foreign place in your mind mm-hmm. or in the, the ether or in the world, but back to where you were from. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that's, that's really rich, uh, and, and, uh, really remarkable. I think a lot of times, one of the, the we've talked a little bit about this before, but one of the phobias and or fears of academic endeavors is is mm-hmm. that they detach us from ourselves or they pull us mm-hmm. away from our contexts or make us hypercritical mm-hmm. of our contexts in ways that are like, you know, we we uh develop some superiority complex, whatever the case may Very be, <laughs> uh that that seems to to happen. That you found a pathway through this this sort of, uh, stigmatized, uh, for mm-hmm. lack of a better two, two double stigmatized sort of zones, right. Of maybe where mm-hmm. you're from, from academic perspectives and, or mm-hmm. from academic in academia, which has its own stigmas about doing that ivory tower thing, um, right. and looking downward, you know, that's, <laughs> th- that, that's <laughs> pretty very remarkable. Um, uh, I- I'd love to hear more about how sort of coming out of the pandemic, um, this maybe has manifested in physical ways, whether again, by, cause you're clearly not returned home per se. I mean, I know you were just there <laughs> for a moment, but you've now are, are even further away physically from that yeah, space yeah. to now critically think about maybe more and maybe do a little more mental inward sort of cerebral journeying. But also I wonder mm-hmm. if there are in fact, maybe some physical manifestations or pivots or changes mm-hmm. in your life that have come from this, Um, the beginnings of this pilgrimage through academia back toward uh, understanding your roots.
1: If that's a good, if that's a
0: good characterization, your roots as
1: sort of being encompassing
0: of what you were saying.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that definitely makes sense. Um, I I think for me, um, I had developed this since, actually while I was an undergrad at Oberlin that um, sort of my relationship to academia was not quite the same as, my peers as, as the people sitting with me around the seminar table. Um, so I, I come from, I mean, truly, um, uh, a low income background, this sort of sub middle-class background, um, where for, for people like, um, where I grew up and sort of had my same opportunities when I was in middle and high school generally don't go to, um, four year universities and certainly don't go to elite colleges. Um, and, um, and when they do, for example, they find, um, I've talked to others, that find it quite difficult, this sort of, um, you know, significant disjunction um, mm. in, in socioeconomic situation and in, in class, essentially. Um, and that's something I, I certainly had to navigate um, while I was at Oberlin um, and, and was able to reflect a lot more upon during this time at Yale that I've been talking about. Um, but I say this as, as a preface to... And this sort of inward journey, to, um, to returning to my roots, um, was was in a large part, I think, instigated by this, um, the strong disjunction between sort of the resources that I w- had at my disposal as a student navigating this once in a lifetime global pandemic, yeah. um, and then things <laughs> that my friends were talking about or that I, I was seeing other students being able to sort of take advantage of, um, yeah, there was <laughs> there was a, a large disparity there, and so it sort of made me reflect uh, yeah reflect inwardly sort of um well who am i that i'm 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 coming to these table to these seminar um conversations um and, and sort of just needing to have a stronger sense of self in that way mm. um and part of that process uh, in addition to like sort of the research that um, that i've been talking about um was also doing a little bit of sort of genealogical research and um, so finding more about um my my family where my grandparents had come from um i had learned that on both sides of my both my paternal and, and maternal sides of the family um um we had only been in this part of southern ohio since 1920 or something Oh wow. um, but before that um basically every sort of family tree line branch comes from eastern kentucky um which is a very different world yes since <laughs> <than, than Southern laughs> ohio i will say um so there was uh, a little bit of, um, uh, well, I guess this is sort of skirting your question, but there there was a little bit of Google Maps, I guess, exploration of, of eastern Kentucky. So not a physical pilgrimage in that sense, but uh, um, sort of exploring the terrain through the resources I had. Um, however, when I did get back to Ohio, um, I think this was back in twenty yeah twenty twenty two now. Um, I um, sort of had this information in, in hand. I, I I sort of. Went as far as i could on ancestry.com for example yeah 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 so I, I went and physically visited some of the gravesites that oh, were town that i had grown up uh, had grown up in um which was sort of it was a first i don't think uh, many or of anyone in my family had really thought to do this sort of going and visiting gravesites of mm. relatives that we had never met um, so that was sort of a new thing um for me um, but it was also interesting um, on, uh, on sort of just a surface level of driving through um, these, this, these parts of Appalachia that I did have access to, um, seeing um, the hills and, and sort of the way that people lived among, among the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains yeah. and sort of imagining that um, these relatives that I was visiting um, that are you know, at these uh, gravesites um probably lived in, in very similar situations wow wow that's
0: so, it's so evocative i mean you paint such a, a a picture you know uh and if if our listeners aren't familiar with this this region of the world um mm-hmm. the, Ap- the appalachian region and and it is if, if you talk to anybody who's from, yeah, I'm from the West Coast originally, so we grew up right. saying Appalachian, and we're are you know, yeah, yeah. quickly scolded <laughs> Appalachian. Right, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, well, we have a saying for this: it's that if you say Appalachia, I'm going to throw an apple at you. Oh, there you go,
0: there you go. Yeah, I, remember, yeah. very, very helpful. Uh, and I feel like that explains a lot now. Uh, and sore foreheads. Uh, <laughs> All right, there you um, go. Okay. Yeah. So Appalachia, but it's, it is a, it is a really beautiful part of, of the country. If you ever have a chance to do what, you know, Matt's talking about in Google, Google maps it and check it out. Um, sit, look up pictures of some of these regions, Eastern Kentucky, like you talk about uh, uh, right. all the way up, really, technically all the way up into like Vermont, right. You know, is, is right, uh, right. or even Southern Maine, I guess is where them, and it comes down to where I am too. I'm, I'm right at the base of mm-hmm. Appalachia in North Georgia. Um Right. right. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's remarkable. But to see, to kind of, I guess, envision or to like, you know, like you said, to look uh, observe the topography, observe, Mm -hmm. you know, homesteads and things like that. And to sort of imagine a past of which your lineage was a part of, or, and Mm -hmm. and maybe in some ways continues, you know, through, through you, that, that's, Mm -hmm. uh, that is the sort of uh, mental time travel that you, you can kind of do in real time uh, in, in a real location. And that, that is its own sort of, I guess, pilgrimage, right? Um, Mm -hmm. it's a very disciplined and very different kind of an imaginative one. Uh, but Mm -hmm. that you've, you had cultivated that and prepared yourself for that through, you know, the journey of researches is is certainly Mm -hmm. remarkable. I, I did want to touch back again on, 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 and get a little more, um, on your experience. If you'll, if you're, open to sharing and just visiting graves and what that was like, what the emotions of that moment were, or again, imaginatively, what, what sort of, you know, came, came to, uh, in that, in that journey to these sorts of sites of final destination, I guess, for, for, for someone else, this was, this is the sort of proverbial and literal end, um, mm-hmm. for you, it was maybe, a not definitely not an end. I imagine yeah, this is yeah. probably some other stage. Can you talk about that more?
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have to say I, I was much more, um, in a in a sort of exploratory mindset, like, like sure. these were exciting discoveries, finding, finding these graves of, you know, of dead relatives. <laughs> so it was <laughs> yeah. the sort of, yeah. Excitement of the, of the, you know, putting a, a gravestone to the name, um, sort of over overshadowed any sort of um um yeah mourning or or sadness that that you know one might normally feel at a at a grave site of a relative um it was also a bit impersonal in that i had not met a lot of these people in real life uh, right. they they had passed before i uh, i was born even before my parents were born in some cases um so yeah it felt a little bit more like like a history project more so than than sort of um visiting a uh, visiting a close relative um and uh, along I, I guess i should say along with with the history project i i was also interested in a lot of the p- political implications of mm. the sort of research i was doing around my family and <laughs> because um, i was ta- as i was talking about a bit earlier i come from a low-income background um, but the kind of low-income background i come from is not the sort of um, you know, down on our luck, not having much money um, for this decade, kind of low income. Um, I had realized or come to realize with this research, I mean, we had been what could really be classified as a family in poverty or or sort of a a clan or community in poverty mm. for something like two hundred years. Um, wow. When um, you know, a family had settled in um, two counties uh, in. Um, Eastern Kentucky, one county where my mom's side of the family comes from, a different county where my dad's side of the family comes from. And um, they had come as sort of poor um, white colonial settlers and settled on this land um, essentially just for subsistence, making sort of no more than just what was needed for survival. And this was true um, up until, well, as I had mentioned earlier, about the 1920s when I'm... Um, I, I, I would characterize them as maybe some of the rebels of the family it moved a bit North to Ohio to work at a steel mill, um, that had recently been built in our town. And this process is, is written about in the, in the Appalachian studies literature as out migration out of the Appalachian region, a little bit complicated because, um, where they settled was still in the Appalachian region, but sort of just a different, um, different instantiation of it.
0: Um, yeah.
1: Um, but they had come to sort of, uh, improve their economic situation and um, by working in the steel mill, well, unfortunately, the steel mill only lasted for about fifty years. And mm-hmm. um, so, since, uh, uh, yeah, since the seventies or eighties, I want to say, um, yeah, the, the the sort of descendants of, of these um, couple of guys who moved up to Ohio have had to find other ways of making a living without some sort of lucrative, um, you know, sort of business or uh, industry like the mm-hmm. steel industry around to support them. Um, and unfortunately, that also meant sort of falling back and, and sort of just returning to the same state of poverty that that these guys had left in Eastern Kentucky originally. Mm.
0: Um, I'm curious. You know, there are sometimes, and this is this is true in the ways that sort of uh, socio political discourse happens in the U.S. At least that there are these sort of people might identify you as some sort of outlier then to your, to your context, your, mm-hmm. uh, wunderkid, uh, virtuostic musician, uh-huh. <laughs> genius, probably got perfect score on the SAT or something like that. You know what I mean? Like you did, you, you've, you've, you've sort of quote, transcended the, 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 the bubble or the boundaries that, that may have been factors of otherwise, uh, oppression or imposition mm-hmm. on you. Um, <clears throat> that might Actually, be a mischaracterization, and I, I don't know if if you would if you would sort of agree with that as being you being and in, falling into that thing, or if if it, if it is a mischaracterization, can you tell me or tell us a little bit how and why that's so in your experience, based again, someone on your research and and this journey of learning that you've been on?
1: Sure. Yeah, I mean that's certainly interesting. Um, <laughs> I mean, I want to say that the more radical side of me. <laughs> Um, wants to characterize the sort of the Wunderkit idea that, that you're talking about as, um, you know, as, as a poor kid who's able to align himself, um, more with the demands of capitalism, more of, of what, mm. um, what success looks like in, um, in, in sort of modern, uh, American capitalism, um, at the same time, um, leaving that to one side, um, at the same time, um, For me, in my specific case, um, the sort of interest that I had taken in music um, when I was in middle school, junior high, that kind of thing, um, was a bit uh, of an outlier for for my friends, for people around in my school, and my community, uh, and that I was just spending so much time practicing piano and then practicing organ um, uh, that I I sort of developed the skills, I guess, uh, in a sense. Um, For myself and sort of using sort of the only resource that I had, um, available to me. Um, so I was spending something like two or three hours a day, um, just practicing piano or, or organ for, for about five or six years. And, um, you know, <laughs> this, this often meant going to a church, um, asking a church if I could use their instrument and then saying yes, and then setting up a schedule, that sort of thing. So it didn't require any sort of, um capital i guess that wasn't already on the ground that wasn't already in place um and that sort of using the resources at my disposal i think is something that is not unique to me i think that a lot of um, people in poverty everywhere a lot of appalachians especially um are, are very skilled virtuosic you might say in using mm. what resources they have around them uh, and immediately in their disposal and making a living carving out a living And so in some ways I've sort of felt like I've just been doing um, what others have been and are doing Mm. I happened to go down a different path uh, that opened different doors for me um, other than, than just subsistence living or, or sort of finding my way to a happy life, um, but staying in sort of the same place. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's, 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 that's remarkable. Yeah. Just you happen to joining in, with, with those around you. I like that, 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 that's a, that's a reclamation if that's even a word of, yeah, of, 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 of uh, a sort of ethos or like a methodology, we could say, you know, if You're we right, want to right. use a fancy word, Appalachian methodology, you know, what do you got <laughs> to work with? Let's make, you know, like, and, and what are you you know, compelled toward, you know, and what are you going to do to make, make it work without, like you said, without maybe some of the other sort of capitals, you know, that, that, yeah. uh, that otherwise, can open, open doors or pathways. That's, that's pretty interesting. Well, I mean, we could talk about so much of this. I do want to transition though, to Mm -hmm. talking about a little bit of some of maybe the, the sites or sources, uh, materials, whatever of inspiration that Mm you found along the way that have inspired. We thought, I mean, obviously you've talked about there being some academic literature and resources like that, Mm -hmm. but I wonder if there are other things, uh, uh, musical experiences uh, uh, church, uh, experience, anything. I mean, uh, right. I won't put any sort of limit on that, but what, what sort of things have either motivated <clears throat> additionally motivated or, or inspired and sustained. That's another word, uh, sustained you kind of along this, uh, journey to, to where you are now and what you're doing now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, well, I'll give, I'll give two at the same time here. I, um, <clears throat> I found that sort of while I was doing this research or sort of reflecting back on my Appalachian heritage or or roots or whatever you might want to call it, um, I was doing this alongside reading, you know, standard core canonical Christian theology um, and some of it in in unique ways and some of it maybe not quite canonical for some as much as others. Um, But I was finding that I was really drawn to um, a particular uh, patristic thinker named Gregory of Nyssa who writes about, um, well, he's known, I think, mostly as, as one of the Cappadocian fathers that contributed to um, the early consolidation of doctrine, um, of, of orthodoxy on the Trinity, on Trinitarian thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also writes um, what is essentially um, an, an early theological anthropology um, in this text that's now surviving as the life of Moses. Um, and, and he was, as as a thinker, he was sort of quote-unquote, rediscovered in the modern era in the 20th century by a French um, Catholic theologian named jean Daniel Danielou. Yeah, French is a work. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but Danielou, like, um, sort of repackages um, Nessa's thought um, in, in really interesting ways um, in, in a sort of almost postmodern way. Um, but he, yeah, he, he sort of shows Nyssa's thinking beyond just Trinitarian thinking, but also in terms of, of a sort of mysticism, mm-hmm. um, and especially a mysticism, um, in return, uh, in regards to, um, mm-hmm. concepts of progress and perfection. Um, so through, through reading Nyssa, um, you know, he, he writes about, um, the sort of platonic notion of progress where, um, to use sort of old language, man sort of does his best to progress toward the good, um, and in all of his efforts, he sort of just falls right back to where he was before. In um, this sort of, well, Nissa uses this uh, image of um, of a man climbing on a sand dune, where each step, you know, he takes a step, um, but then it falls right back down to where it was because yeah. the sand just sort of gives way. Um, And this is a sort of. Um, idea of progress without the grace of of God essentially, um, and so then this idea of perfection enters um, to where um, the Christian life as as life um, sort of quote unquote in patria or or, or life in God um, has has this other sort of functioning of of perfection um, that that in some senses doesn't progress or and at the same time progresses mm. so a, a growing depth in perfection, um, because perfection is a sort of ultimately good state. So it's um, sort of, well, I guess I'll use the term irrational to think of per- perfection being um, something you can pr- progress in. Um, but he talks about this idea of, of progress and perfection um, as a sort of um, soaring insights toward, toward God, to the light of God, um, but also at the same time and in the same moment, a sort of depth um, into darkness and to oh, what yeah. can't be known. But <laughs> so at the same time that you have um, the sort of progress in perfection toward God, you have this sort of descent into the darkness of the unknown or not knowing or not being able to know God. And for me, this was a really, um, I mean, it, it, for me, it caused a significant shift in the way that I understood sort of what I was doing <clears throat> in the strange world of systematic theology um, mm. And trying to understand myself and my Appalachian heritage in relation to this strange world of systematic theology, um, as as a sort of um, both growing in, in in perfection in that sense, but then also stripping away some of some of mod- uh, the modern notions of of progress, maybe that I had had picked up in a in a very uh, left-wing liberal arts college <laughs> that I had attended before. At the same time that I'm exploring um, Gregory Reibniss' thought on, on sort of mystical progress and perfection, I'm also sort of diving deep into um, areas of Appalachian culture, like, um, um, for example, music. <laughs> um, um, and there's been a growing trend um well the trend has probably started in the 70s, but specifically on on, on Spotify, our, our favorite streaming service here, uh, mm-hmm. they've um, as everyone knows, they they curate playlists. And they've been getting more and more adventurous with the playlists that they curate. And one of the great um or some of my favorite playlists that they've they've recently come out with um include um sort of roots music focused um playlists. So there's a, a bluegrass, a roots bluegrass um playlist where they show a mix of um, sort of living contemporary new music in the bluegrass tradition, alongside um, some traditional recordings, um, like Earl Scruggs, yeah, for example. Um, and at the same time, they have another similar bluegrass playlist called Indie Bluegrass, where it's just um, sort of the newest releases in in the bluegrass style. And and through um, through this exploration of <laughs> the Spotify Indie Bluegrass playlist. Uh, I stumbled upon Tyler Childers, which for me was new, but for a lot of people is not new.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and this is—I I will say—as as a classically trained musician at, at conservatory at Oberlin, I was not listening to bluegrass uh, regularly, <laughs> uh, to put it lightly. So, um, so this was a new world for me in, mm-hmm. in sort of 2020, 2021. Um, but I saw as as I was doing this, he had just released a new album in September of 2020 um, called Long Violet Long Violent History. Um, which I think I had read was his sort of <laughs> attempt to learn to play the fiddle because uh, he's primarily a guitarist and a singer. Oh, wow. So it's this, yeah, um, I don't remember how many tracks it is on the album, maybe 12 or so. Um, it's it's this, this album where um, 99% of the album, he's just playing fiddle tunes. There's no singing. There's, <laughs> uh, he's got a backing, his, his normal backing band with him, of course, uh, but there's no lyrics anywhere. And then suddenly we get to the final track of the album, um, also yeah, called Long Violent History, um, which um, is, is a super interesting song from a lyrical standpoint for me um, because I felt um, a strong connection in the sense that he, through this song, um, is dealing with issues that I'm interested in, political issues that I'm mm-hmm. also interested in, <clears throat> um, sort of structural anti-Blackness that we're seeing. Um, colonial history, fighting against stereotypes of white Appalachians as sort of backward hillbillies. He's doing all this at the same time in this song. Wow. Uh, It really really resonated with me. Um, And specifically, I I think I read that he, in an interview, he talked about um, sort of getting um, upset, uh, of getting angry at seeing – um, time and time again, um police killings, police murders of of unarmed black men. Mm-hmm. And and he wrote this song in response. Um and and perhaps someone who's not um who's, who's not familiar with Tyler Childers and not familiar with the song on first hearing, they would probably make not not make such a strong connection because it's in a very strongly traditional bluegrass sound. It's it's um not any sort of um um newer developments on the genre or anything. Um, but the way that he performs the song, the way that he writes the song, um, I think it's um it's extremely um urgent, <laughs> um very relevant uh, to those political developments, and I think really well done in and sort of um sort of reclaiming this um sort of idea of of Appalachian identity and using it for um a sort of protest against Um, some of the, um, the police violence that, that we're continuing to see uh, inflicted on black communities. Wow.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, wow. Thank you for those responses. They're again, just both rich and come with a lot of uh, depth and interesting things. I, uh, to just briefly sort of tease out a couple things and respond and get a little bit more feedback from you on that. I'll go in reverse order. Uh, yeah, Tyler Childress, uh, yeah, the, 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 bluegrass tradition is not, you know, one that you normally would associate because of the sort of sonic tropes, uh, and stereotypes that come with it with sort mm-hmm. of like the sort of, you know, hillbilly, you know, um, uh, yeah, all those things that, 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 come. <laughs> that come the white I'm, I'm, thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, yeah, the, the, yeah, this is the white yeah. racist music. Um, yeah that this, that he would use this, or, I mean, and, and not just, he's not coming to it haphazardly. This is his, mm-hmm. you know, his music. This is his, what he oh, yeah. does. Um, <laughs> that this would be the vehicle then to say something um, pointed about this other, this, this phenomenon that, that usually gets, um, uh, the people's perception might be the opposite message is embedded in it. Uh, it's, right. it's, it's a, it's a form of signifying, I guess, you know what I mean? In the, in the, mm-hmm. in the, the more, uh, African-American tradition of that, um, that, that concept, which is a podcast for another time, but W.E. <laughs> the Boys," everybody check it out to get to the, the back to Gregory of Nyssa as well. you talking about mm-hmm. that and Tyler Childress, these both being sort of texts or, or sources of inspiration and continued motivation and, and, mm-hmm. su- and sustaining you a- along this, sort of pilgrimage of, of, of meta pilgrimage, we'll call it. Um, I, I sense that, that you're starting to see, you're starting to uh, kind of approach not just your research, but sort of day-to-day life with this, what we might call like an Appalachian hermeneutic, like uh, Mm -hmm. a lens, an Appalachian lens, you know, through which you Mm -hmm. then interpret the world and see things and critique things or understand them, uh, which is sort of, which is, which again, is just matter of factly, geographically succinct to who you are. Right. In some ways like yeah. you, you, you come to this quote organically or, or mm-hmm. naturally, or if we dare authentically. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, and yet, um, it also is something that you have adopted in, in a way mm-hmm. if I could characterize it in that way, um, sure. as, as something very cool. So that way, when you do then come to, uh, Gregory of Nyssa and, uh, mm-hmm. his, uh, uh, his French regenerator, uh, Jean, uh, Danielou, um, you, you kind of, uh, continue, I guess maybe Danielou's work through that Appalachian hermeneutic as well. And you borrow, I was thinking through, um, when you talked about Nyssa talking about sand and stepping on sand dunes and sort of the depth of progress and this impossibility, this paradox that emerges basically, um, i also i i thought i was just thinking immediately back to what you talked about observing the topography of appalachia Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. and and the difference that that exists there in in how Mm. you can sort of transverse and step upward or downward and do things and explore Uh and probe Uh and yet the concept of like um I'm riffing a little bit here. So by all means, cut me off if it starts sounding super wonky, but like the concept of, you know, again, this is, this is very colloquial, but the holler, you know what I mean? Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, getting down and you talk about getting down into the holler, you know what I mean? Getting down mm-hmm. in the holler and, and there being sort of socioeconomic, uh, a, a socioeconomic sand dune that is represented mm. in the holler um, and, and that, that sort of climb Maybe the point is not to like you know sort of ascend out of it to participate in some other schemes of capitalism mm. or these other things, mm. but it's to grow in depth um in 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 that holler you know what i mean again i we'd we'd have to riff on this more and tease this out more but i I'm wondering if I'm sensing this again this Appalachian hermeneutic and this theme of mm. of of um uh I love that, you know, the, the progress toward perfection mm-hmm. and, sure. and, and, and really that's just a deepening, you know what I mean? Because perfection is sort right. of a state.
1: Right, right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a beautiful connection too. um, also quite literally thinking of, of haulers and sort of imagining sort of the Appalachian climbing the hauler out of, out of social, out of poverty into sort of social success. While at the same time, um, the region, the Appalachian region has been plagued by this, um, sort of phenomenon of what's called mountaintop removal mining um, where these sort of mega and no exaggeration, mega billion dollar energy companies are coming in and um, completely destroying the Appalachian topography by way of mm. um, explosives blowing off, blowing off the top of these mountains to expose reams of, of coal that have been buried in um over you know, dozens of millions of years, the Appalachian Mountain region being one of the oldest in the world. Um, and at the same time, um, you know, funneling um, profits made from the, the sort of destruction of the Appalachian topography um, to shareholders. It's entirely for the sake of shareholder value. Um, and so they're removing labor protections for local Appalachians who are doing this work. Um, they, short, they get a nice um, salary. They get a nice wage for the time that they're there. Uh, but once the company uh, runs out of mountain to blow through, they uh, they close up shop, uh, lay the guys off, uh, and then they're left back where they were at the beginning. Um, although this time, without a mountaintop around around them, and so people wow. are getting cancer from the the, the blast dust that's um, creating sludge uh, that goes into the drinking water. Um, there's yeah also this <laughs> fact of what I would consider sacred topography millions millions of years old just being completely destroyed for the yeah. sake of, of boosting shareholder value um for these for these global companies. Um, and and then at the same time the local workers who who are the ones doing that for the companies, for the shareholders, they they end up with with nothing and end up right back to where they were before. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's just that's not a connection I had thought about explicitly mm. in terms of climbing out of the sand and returning right back to where you were. Mm. Um, but I think it, it fits aptly with the Appalachian situation, um, as it is now. <laughs> um, yeah. So, wow. yeah. So thank you well, that. Yeah. You definitely rescued
0: my, my, my journey into metaphor, uh, uh, but that, that was good. And, and I don't mean to impose that my own sort of imaginings of, of what you've talked on onto what you're saying as well, but, uh, I've really appreciated, uh, everything that you've shared and. And thinking through um, uh, journey and pilgrimage in this in in this strangely again paradox is a good word this strangely mm-hmm. cerebral and yet very very visceral gritty tangible real world implications sort of way um, mm-hmm. in in ways where you know there are these you know just interconnected intertextual I guess webs. Uh, a thing pulls on a thing and is related to a thing and right, literally, right. and literally mountains are moving, uh, <laughs> as, uh, yeah. for, yeah. um, uh, uh, it seems not for the better, but for the worse. Um, but, but caught up in that, what are some, just as we sort of, uh, uh, wrap things up here, you know, there's, um, uh, you, you talked about, you know, Appalachia just briefly there, you mentioned it as sort of as like this sort of sacred land, um, mm-hmm. and there are multiple sort of ac- points of access or angles from which that claim might be advanced, um, sure. for reasons, you know, even, even our friends, our listeners, this is really a, a sort of half British, half American podcast. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. the, one of our hosts is, and the founder of foreshadow is based there, the, and, and he's actually spent a considerable amount of time in Scotland as have I, um, uh, people will know that the Appalachian range really is, according to sort of most geologists, is sort of a break off of like the Scottish yeah. Highlands. Right. And it yeah, sort right. of and that yeah. like that shift happened. And so a lot of the topography yeah, yeah. is actually very similar. Um, uh, the the flora fauna is definitely different, but right, uh, right. but but the, in terms of the terrain, you get a lot of similar feature um, and, uh, and again, that's as, as far as I understand it in terms of continental shifts and stuff like right. that, that, that is definitely right. there, there's some relation to that. So even yet another point of access to maybe sort of sacred, uh, belonging mm-hmm. or claim or identification, what are some mm-hmm. ways maybe that you're hopeful or, 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 or how you envision, envision, envisage, envision the work that you are now doing or developing as, as either Cultivating some sort of voice or material, not challenge, but uh, means of of reconciling or attending to some of the issues that you've raised uh, here today, both in socioeconomic senses, personally, or a, on a macro communal level, and then in terms of sort of the nefarious powers that be, you know, d- demolishing uh, and 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 diminishing this land.
1: Certainly, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I should say right out of the gate that a lot of this work that I'm talking about, I had been doing sort of within, within the context of decolonial analysis. Um, so so looking at the work of Black Studies scholars, of Native American Indigenous Studies scholars, um, and and trying to figure out the place of this concept of of Appalachian identity within the sort of matrix of um of histories of oppression and histories of genocide that have happened um even you know right there in the appalachian region um th- there were there were to put it lightly appalachians that owned slaves uh and appalachians that um contributed to um the genocide and removal of, of native americans um and, and this is uh, a debate that has only emerged in the appalachian studies literature um since uh, I, w- I want to say 2007, um, so, so the early 2000s, 2010s. Um, and, and for me, this, this is a foundational concept for any sort of um, um, political project of improvement or um, finding out or sort of doing research into ways um, and that, um, that people who produce knowledge, researchers, might be able to address some of these problems that Appalachians face today. Um, by coming to terms with this, uh, with these histories, and how these histories are still active, even in our efforts at improvement, mm-hmm. whatever they might be, um, uh, so so that's one sort of over overview, I guess uh, the view from from ten thousand feet, I guess you could say. Sure, um, but a closer on the ground, um, my research now is 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 a lot um, a lot more interested in in um, the world of economics, um, so so ways that. Um, Our understanding of, or understandings of the way that um, economy um, motivates, uh, in some senses, disciplines, certain ways of of being in the world, both at um, the state level and the individual level. Um, These are questions that I think are urgent for um, anyone interested in improving the Appalachian region's situation um, to address. Um, and at the same time, um, and this is work that is already being uh, done, um, but um, the attention to religious traditions in the Appalachian region. Mm. Um, there's a religious historian, uh, Deborah Macaulay, that writes that Appalachian mountain religion um, is perhaps the only truly unique American um, Christian tradition or religious tradition that has emerged um, uh, in the in um, among Americans. I mean that the claim clearly has some um, it has some room for criticism or, or for, for sharpening, um, but it's it's a um, it, it, it's a strong um, way of of putting that um, what Appalachian Christians are doing in the region now and have been doing for hundreds of years um, is something worth paying attention to mm. in the effort to improve the region. Mm. Uh, and I also happen to be among the crowd that believes that. Um, the sort of ways that we imagine improving the Appalachian region um, is useful for um, people around the world with a sort of regional consciousness um, and a sort of trans-regional um, dialogue um, mm. but also for american culture and politics more generally i think wow. these um, these multiple levels all sort of tie together
0: wow that's yeah that's fantastic and that's amazing i it's just you it's so convicting as well i think of having lived in numerous places myself being now disconnected from a place that I am, I'm generationally connected to, but ancestrally being again, just a white guy, uh, Mm -hmm. from California, uh, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's not necessarily that. And yet still to have some stake in, in that, in that reclamation, that reconciliation, and to really maybe think critically about ways, you know, I'm just personally reflecting here, uh, ways in which I might participate at some point you know, if, if, mm-hmm. if, if, you know, in that discourse and dialogue and developing th- that hermeneutic as well, and that, mm-hmm. and that, you know, in the same ways that you've talked about sort of trans regional consciousness and and regional consciousness that, yeah, that's absolutely remarkable and, and very helpful. I, and I think hopefully productive, I'm sure it's going to, you're going to change the world, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I certainly hope you do. And, and that your, your journey toward that, uh, continues to be enriched, um, I definitely want to offer you any final plugs or things that we should be aware of things that you're doing uh, to look out for coming from you, whether in publication or in presentation or, you know, maybe performance videos that we can check out if we want to just, you know, get into your, your musicing as well.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the future is still very unknown territory for me. So I'm, I'm not sure what's, what's coming up along those lines, but you can certainly find me online. Um, I'm connected uh, pretty much exclusively through Facebook Okay. Uh, and I have a YouTube channel if you're interested in, in seeing some of the work I've done in the classical music world, um, before. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly hope to keep you updated with, um, with things like publications and, and conference presentations as those come up.
0: Great. Yeah. We'll definitely buy that book when it comes out. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> well, we'll be sure to put those links in, uh, underneath this episode when it airs. So listeners, you can, you can, I guess. Connect with Matt on facebook if if you'd like I'm sure you have discretion to add and you know, accept yeah, uh, right. uh, the the flood of new followers is coming <laughs> uh, yeah. and uh, and YouTube videos obviously too do do check that out maybe we'll see an emergent bluegrass project uh, down the road well, uh, that could be. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd certainly buff up on my uh, you know my my flat picking if if you were going to do <laughs> it uh, um I'd jump in on that, but Matt, this has been absolutely delightful, super insightful, always inspiring to, to chat with you. And uh, I'm thankful for the time that you have given us here today. And yeah, so for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with that, if you enjoyed our conversation, let us know by leaving a review, emailing us at foreshadowmagazine.com or connecting on various social media platforms. You can also visit foreshadowmagazine.com to read new writings and listen to other conversations. There, you can sign up for a free newsletter sharing new work every week. Thanks for listening. That's the forecast for today.